So he found a turnip and he put Satan's ember in the <laughs> in the turnip. To, I've to, only to, got a turnip. <laughs> <laughs> Bloody hell. <laughs> oh hell. Uh, yeah, so anyway. Should we do like jazz hands real quick? Yeah, I think we we should shake it out real fast. Just uh, ba 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 ba. What tongue twister do you want to start with? Peter Piper picked a pack of pickled peppers. <clears throat> that's all. That's I don't know the rest of it. Ba ba ba. Okay, how much wood can a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood? Maybe he doesn't want to chuck wood. My father wanted me to chuck wood, and <laughs> I just—I want to be an actor. <laughs> I want to be a dentist. <laughs> oh God! Okay. Anywho. Okay. Hello. Welcome to episode two. Wow! Back for more. Yeah, we made it. We're 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 on our way. I'm happy you're here. If you are tuning in for the first time, welcome. If you were around for episode one, welcome back. This is Margot and Elizabeth. And we're the two roommates from Chicago, and we like to talk about things that keep us up at night. So today's topic is things we wish we learned in school or awful people. I'm excited for this one. I am I am too. It'd be really awkward if we did the same story. I feel like the chances of that are really low. We did go to the same school, though. Yeah. So I, we didn't learn the same things. So this topic... I'm happy about, but I, f- I feel the most nervous for it because I, yeah. I want to make sure I'm fully educated before I share things. Yeah. Anywho, that's my anxiety for the day. Speaking of which, what <laughs> has kept you up this week? So I joined a kickball league, mm-hmm. um, socially distanced. We wear masks when we play. Yeah, no COVID in kickball. Anyway, last night we had a game and we lost, but that's irrelevant to the story. The point is a couple people on my team were talking about like they were trying to figure out how in touch with the universe they are. Oh, how um, did you do? How did you find out if you were? I don't, they said they just know. So I will. Oh. I, I, think I just I know. Of, like, I'm just really in tune with the universe. <laughs> like not everyone is, but I am. Trust me. So, but, they, were so they were having this okay. conversation and they were saying that they think like women are more in touch with the universe no. than men. And I was trying to get out of them, like, what does that mean to be in touch with the universe? And they were, is it because we're more sensitive? Maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know. They said something about, like, emotional intelligence, which... Well, okay. Sure. But I don't I don't know. I mean, I, I've been thinking about it. Am I in touch with the universe? I, like, my, like, first impulse answer is no. They said we can try to do. I, I don't know. What about you? Do, you? do you feel like you're in touch with the universe? Vibing with the, the cosmos? I don't know. Uh... <laughs> I mean, I feel like a lot of my chakras are not balanced, mm-hmm. if that's the same thing. I, You know, I've never really thought of that, so that's it's, a good question. It's a topic for, for further thought and discussion. Okay, we will make a note of that. <laughs> this is me making a note. Uh, what, what has kept you up at night? I've just had a really crazy work week, and that has literally kept me up yeah. at night. Um, so... You know, it's it's okay. We're going to get through it. But, you know, I work in marketing and advertising. So the mm-hmm. start of Q4 is always going to be crazy. So, yeah. Yeah. So starting a podcast at, at <laughs> the busiest time of the year for a marketer is really. That means we can market this well. I don't um, Subscribe. <laughs> like and subscribe um give us speaking of which i just wanted to say thank you to everyone who has tuned in so far we we are absolutely over the moon we were expecting like seven downloads and like half of them <laughs> would be our family yeah it, thank you so much so and we have international listeners so that's really cool but thank you again for all you know all your kind words and support we hope you enjoy it and we really have fun doing it so we want to keep telling you stories that said, feel free to you know follow us on social media. 
we have a Facebook page. You can subscribe to Apple Podcasts, but I'll get off that soapbox because we'll save that for the credits. Anyway. Yeah. Or email us if you have ideas. Yes. Because everyone I've told about this podcast is like, oh, why don't you do this? This is, I'm like, send like, us an email at the insomnia report at gmail.com. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go ahead and light the candle. Oh, oh yeah. Forgot about the candle. Ooh. Ooh. Because that's, I guess, something we will do now. Margot bought this huge jar of, like, really long matches, and they're different colors, and it's nice. I, I really like it, and I love candles, so this is, I guess, our thing now. Yeah. The challenge is to not set our equipment on fire. Yeah, we, we're working <laughs> on a pretty small table, so. So, do you want to go first this time? I, I guess we'll be switching up every week yes i will go ahead and go first so yeah what what didn't you learn tell me so that i can know it too let me preface this by i love all holidays for different reasons but it's spooky season and october baby yeah it's here the leaves (laughs) are changing colors we have skulls ghosts and pumpkins across our apartment and i am here for it so something i've been thinking about this season is as kids we were just kind of told hey put on a costume go harass your neighbors, get a sugar high, and, you know, get free candy. Mm -hmm. And we creep ourselves out while we're on sugar high, and we celebrate fall. But it was something that was just sort of accepted. I I never questioned it. I was totally fine with it. But Mm -hmm. it had me wondering, how did it all start and what – how did it become what it is today? So can I can I insert a comment about how I celebrated Halloween when I was younger? So my dad is a home brewer mm-hmm. and he used to um get a couple wagons with the neighbor dads and they would put one wagon had a keg on it and he put a ghost costume on it oh my god and he called it boo beer and it was like beer he <laughs> brewed himself for halloween That's and then so the cool. other wagon had like like chicken wings and like sausage and cheese and stuff oh my god and they would like carried around the neighborhood but i think that's actually illegal because <laughs> it's oh. alcohol so oh. he had to stop eventually but yeah they like lost a kid one time it, it was like <laughs> <laughs> they found him <laughs> but yeah that was that's a fun did uh, he just like thing. go with a different group of people or was he like <laughs> excuse me sir have you seen a little devil running around i mean like he dressed up as a devil <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think that he like went to i don't know he like figured out he lost his dad and like was trick-or-treating at a house and told them like my dad like i can't find him he's walking around with like beer or something and anyway they got in trouble but it was fun that's it a fun, fun tradition that's great yeah um, but tell me more about well, halloween okay so here's the story of halloween and i will start by saying a lot of this comes from history.com in Time magazines, I'll do my best to cite as I go, but the the core of it is from history. So I'm just prefacing it now. Like obviously, these are not my original. Mm-hmm. Some of it is. You didn't go into the archives and find the manuscript. And- <laughs> I actually grabbed my time machine and was like, oh. I want to see what the druids are up to. So, <laughs> anywho, so Halloween originates from the Gaelic festival called Sewin. It's spelled S-A-M-H-A-I-N, but pronounced Sewin. That's that happens, I feel like, with every word in like Gaelic. In Gaelic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, okay. My my family and I went to Ireland and you know, when I was twelve and I started watching like Looney Tunes, but it was in Gaelic. So really? it would be like Sham Baba Hot Dog. So it was definitely it was really funny, but Mm-hmm. So kind of a background of who the Druids were. They were a member of the high-ranking class in ancient Celtic cultures, according to History UK. So they kind of served as priests, uh, legal and political advisors, medics, that sort of thing. And the earliest note of them was in the 4th century BCE from writings of Julius Caesar. So they've been around for a while. I mean, they're not still hanging around today, but obviously... Are you sure? <laughs> you never know these days. I don't know. If you if you see a bunch of men walking around in hoods and like doing sacrifices, I would advise you to run the other way. Okay. Um anywho, and something to note which I thought was interesting is they had a very pattern life and they followed nature cycles. So they observed lunar, solar, and seasonal cycles. That was very mm. important to them. I love that. Yeah, I do too. I think, you know, we can get in, in tune with nature and and yeah. follow their lead. <laughs> 
I'm not going to sacrifice anything, though. So Samhain was one of the major Celtic seasonal festivals, and it, it started occurring around 2,000 years ago, so in the year 20. I'm kidding. I don't know if it's... Uh, <laughs> but 2,000 years ago, and to paint a picture, it took place in regions that are today known as Ireland, Scotland, Wales, England, Northern France, and the Isle of Man. Samhain, which was also Celtic New Year, marked the end of the harvest and the start of the darker half of the year. But they knew that spring would come again, so they used this festival to to pray for, you know, a, a good, bountiful harvest or celebrate the end of it, respect it. And back then, you know, what you worked for, what you harvested, that's all you had to get through winter. So you couldn't go to Costco to, to just, you know, bulk up for the winter. Mm-hmm. So the ancient Celtics practiced four quarterly fire festivals and they deemed Samhain to be the most significant. And it was believed that this was when the souls of the dead were to come back to the world of the living and the spirits would come back to damage crops unless they were appeased by the offerings or other rituals, according to Time magazine. So the Celtics believed that during the festival, and I quote, the world of the gods was believed to be made visible to humankind. So that said, these ghosts would play supernatural tricks and return from the underworld, but more on that later. Ooh. <laughs> oh, spooky. Spooky. So to appease these you know, spirits and deities at the time of the festival, they would make sacrifices. And don't worry, they were typically just crops and animals such as cattle. So at these bonfires, the druids would light the community fire and start a spark from the wheel. And the wheel was considered to be representation of the sun, and they would also sing prayers and celebrate this. And those who attended the festival would then take a piece of the flame home from the communal bonfire to light their their hearths or their fireplaces. A fire souvenir. <laughs> yeah, I, I make that sound like it's a cute little gift bag. Like, oh, Johnny, did you get a piece of the fire? Okay, make sure you <laughs> take two and give one to your mom. But... <laughs> The Druids would also use divination to make prophecies about the future, like how, you know, the year would go, especially because, like, the spiritual connection was so much higher during this time. So they would try to make predictions about, you know, what was coming in in the next year because it Mm was uh, a Celtic New Year. So from these predictions, they would help guide the community accordingly. The festival was three days and three nights in early texts present that Samhain was mandatory. So if you didn't attend the festival, it would insult the gods and lead to punishment that resulted in illness and and death. So, I mean, (laughs) talk about a really petty RSVP, like come or die. No problem. Like, (laughs) hey, just I know that the invite says to let me know by the 17th, but like if you don't come, I'm just going to kill you. (laughs) The ghosts will come upon your house and slaughter your family. (laughs) Exactly. Like I'm going to be pissed. Like this is the biggest party of the year and it means a lot to me. And like if you don't appease me... Let's just say it won't be pretty. (laughs) (laughs) They dressed up as animals or or ghosts to kind of play tricks on the dead to keep the bad spirits away and their offering would bear treats. And it was kind of to trick them into like not taking them back into the underworld. Like, hey, I'm just a ghost too. Like, leave me Mm -hmm. alone. Just one of you. I'm just just, your just uh, just another goat like hanging around like nothing to see here. (laughs) And then eventually when Christianity started taken over pagan communities leaders of the church tried to reframe Samhain as like a christian celebration so in the fifth century pope boniface <laughs> boniface uh, boniface bon- i have no idea if that's what you say. <laughs> it's, it's spelled b-o-n-i-f-a-c-e so i want to say boniface but i feel like <laughs> let's just go with boniface <laughs> he has a very small role in this so it's okay. fine but he tried to change it to may 13 to celebrate saints and martyrs however the fire festivals held at the end of october didn't end up getting moved but pope gregory moved the celebration back to the time of the fire festivals but declared all saints day would be november 1st so Mm. all souls day would follow on november 2nd which is why halloween is also called all hallows eve a hollow actually means a saint or a holy person oh Interesting. So pretty wild. That is kind of how it all started. And I'm going to go into a little bit more of the mythology and how traditions have developed over the years. So here's some mythology on these creatures. There was one called a puka, and it was a shape-shifting creature that would 
you know, received offerings from the field, they often took shape of goats, cows, horses, dogs, hares. Sometimes people, the thing about when they <laughs> would shapeshift into people is they sometimes couldn't get it right. So it'd be like a dude with like hooves for feet or something like <laughs> something was off he had a tail i don't know he's like good evening sir <laughs> nothing to see here just another fellow man <laughs> just a human being like yourself so these the pukas would you know cause mischief and if you cross paths with them you would try to like appease them right away or you would they would try to play tricks on you there was also a headless woman named the lady gwyn so she was a woman dressed in all white who had come off as a helpless woman to lure in travelers, saying she was lost, but she was actually evil. She had very bad intentions. Mm. Wait, did you say she was headless? Sometimes before? she was headless, yeah. Oh. So. <laughs> just, Help, sir. What, how do you talk without a head? <laughs> Can you imagine just carrying her head like, <laughs> excuse me, sir, I, I seem to be in trouble. Can you tell me where the local pharmacy <laughs> Which I think is also very interesting because you hear stories of, like, demons pretending to be children, so you feel bad for them. Mm -hmm. So, like I said, sometimes she was headless and she had a companion that was a black boar. Okay. Now, this one, very interesting. There is an Irish myth about this man called Stringy Jack. <laughs> Back with the nicknames. <laughs> I, I love it. I love it, too. Um, Stringy. He was basically the town loud, cocky, drunk dude. Like, everyone in town has one. I'm sure if he had a Dayton profile, he'd be holding a fish, but I digress. <laughs> According to legend, this guy Jack one night was like, you know what? I haven't seen my buddy in a while. I, I think I'll give him a buzz. So somehow he contacts Satan. <laughs> just and, somehow he <laughs> i don't know makes did a connection a, with the... a ouija board did he light a candle did he send smoke signals i don't know how that worked back I, then i don't know i don't want to try it but no. <laughs> he asked him to have a drink with him like hey lucifer want to grab a pint tonight okay cool cool i'll see you eddie <laughs> i will say jack is bold he did not want to pay for the drink so he was like all right you know what how about you turn yourself into a coin so i can use it to buy her drinks and somehow he convinces satan to do it but instead of paying for the drinks with the little coin satan <laughs> he puts it in his pocket next to a silver cross so he can't change back oh like okay sir well played he was scheming right so obviously satan was pissed and i would be pissed if someone turned me into a coin and uh, right but then like didn't turn me back but then like not only to add insult to injury, he, like, puts him next to a silver cross. And he's like, dude, this hurts. Like, stop. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so Satan was mad. And he was like, okay, man. Like, look, I, I know I made you mad. But how's about this? I'll remove the cross so you can change back. But only if you promise to leave my soul alone for a year. And Satan was like, all right, fine, fine. Just, like, change me back. Whatever. So a year later, sure enough, Satan and Jack meet again. And Satan is like, all right, bud, time to go. <laughs> And Jack says, okay, wait, first can I eat something before I, I go to hell or you take my soul away? He pointed over to an apple tree. And Satan climbs the tree to get him an apple. And while he's up there, Jack carves a cross in the wood of the tree. Oh. So Satan, uh, once again, is stuck and he, he couldn't come down. So again, like he's just, he's just being really mean to Satan. He was like, oh yeah, I'll get a beer with you. And like, dude, what the heck? And now he's like, yeah, I'll get you an apple. And he's like... Man, like, come on. Satan is too trusting. Right. So that's probably why he's like, <laughs> I don't know, has like, he, he became bitter, I guess. Well, so was Satan after this guy's soul before they met for a beer? Is that why he's trying to trick him? It, yeah. So that's okay. a couple of, obviously, the story is different kind of based on where you gather the facts. But apparently it was like, because he was so like, a heavy drinker and kind of cocky. It was like mm -hmm. the town folk were kind of like, oh, God, like, here's Stringy Jack. And <laughs> and so, yes, uh, okay. Satan was, like, kind of after him. But okay. he kept, like, you know, he was cunning. Mm -hmm. um, but Jack, while Satan was up in the tree, was like, okay, you know what? I'll, I'll remove the cross. I'll, like, carve it out so you'll be good to go. But now I want you to leave me alone for a decade. Mm -hmm. Satan was like, fine. Like, I, I guess I don't have a choice. So... Time went on, and within the 10 years, Jack actually died be before the 10-year mark. Mm -hmm. I don't know how he died, but 
He obviously was not accepted into heaven. The article said that Jack was unsavory. And Satan was still obviously upset about what happened on Earth and and the tricks he played. But he kept his word for not claiming his soul because it was within the 10-year period. Mm -hmm. Ideal is a deal. But yeah, which I, I respect that. And he... But he didn't let him go to hell either. So he handed him some burning coal and just sent him off. So Jack was doomed to lurk between the worlds of good and evil for eternity with nothing but Satan's ember to light the way. So Ooh. Jack eventually then put the coal in a carved out turnip and he used it as a lantern and is Roman the earth ever since. So, so the Irish call his ghost jack of the lantern oh uh, wild right so the jack o lantern <laughs> so of course as as time went on people started making their own versions of jack's lantern carvings and they put scary faces into it they used turnips or potatoes so everything always comes back to potatoes for us <laughs> how big were these turnips and potatoes i guess i'm just thinking about like the pumpkins that we use right so that's actually a good point like they didn't have like pumpkins in in europe as uh-huh. as to the extent, I'm not saying like they didn't, but it yeah. wasn't, you know, when you think of Ireland, you think of like cabbage, potatoes, yeah. mm-hmm. turnips. So, I mean, they were obviously like, you know, fun size. They were cute. Like when you see those cute little pumpkins that we put on our mantle, mm-hmm. basically like just a little handheld thing. Okay. How big do turnips get? Hold on. Yeah, they get uh, two to three inches, a three um, to five inch diameter. I'm going to Google... Um, carved turnip. Oh, yeah, yeah, Okay. Oh, my God. These Google images are terrifying. Oh, my God. They look like shrunken heads. Oh, my God. They have little teeth. No. <laughs> so that's... <laughs> okay. Well, I regret <laughs> seeing this that image. <laughs> it's cursed. Oh, my God. Yeah. So um, over time, the, the Irish people or the Celtics would then start to carve out you know, turnips or potatoes, and they would mm-hmm. put them in their windows to try to scare off Jack or other evil spirits. So oh. in England, they use beets. Uh, but when people came to the United States, the tradition came along with them, but they found that the native fruit of the pumpkin made the perfect lantern. Mm. As they were harvested around the holiday, they were larger for more light. And, you know, this started the, they started coming during the potato famine. So, um, oh, I found a video online just now of um, how to carve a Halloween turnip. So maybe we might we have to watch it. that later. Okay. I mean, they're they're terrifying. They look like shrunken heads. Yeah. Um, so I would be scared too. Like I look at the pumpkin. I'm like, oh, spooky. But I'm like, oh, yeah. God, that's terrifying. <laughs> In terms of America and our traditions, because of colonial New England and the Protestant belief system. This wasn't something that was traditionally celebrated. So there were play parties where people would like celebrate the harvest too. Like they had their own sort of thing, but and people gathered to tell stories, fortunes, dance and sing. While at the time they did share ghost stories, Halloween was not mm-hmm. actually celebrated. However, the second half of the 19th century is when the potato famine happened and America had millions of Irish immigrants fleeing, so that helped popularize it. Mm-hmm. And that's when, you know, Halloween started becoming celebrated over here. Now, some other traditions, and I think these are very interesting. I haven't heard of a lot of these before, and I mm-hmm. think they're definitely something you and I would have done if we were colonial women at this time. <laughs> okay. Um, Our past life selves probably did them. Um, <laughs> yes. That, we solved it for free. <laughs> um, since the two worlds were now open, people believed their ancestors could hear them better and maybe even speak back and, like, tell them things, like, tell them about the future or, you know, whatever it may be. They felt it was a time to really connect with them. So there's something to honor the dead called a dumb supper. Mm-hmm. And oh, I've heard of this. Yeah, I, I haven't. Uh, so I think this is very interesting. Yeah. but. It's held at midnight on Halloween, and the word word dumb refers to being silent. Mm -hmm. Not like, oh, this is a dumb dinner. Like, (laughs) Janet made turnips, and I'm really mad about it. (laughs) Turnips are so dumb. (laughs) Turnips are so dumb. So how it worked is everything, everyone was silent the entire time. Like, it was said that if you spoke, like, bad fortune would come, or you would, like, kind of insult the ghost because they were like, oh, I'm here, whatever. And I was like, shit, I'd be the first to go. I'd be like, hi, guys. <laughs> um, and everything was backwards. So 
according to one article, dessert was served first. You would put the chairs backwards and everything was like kind of in reverse. They would set a table for everyone who is there, dead or alive. And if you wanted to honor someone or if you wanted to speak to a certain person, you would have an empty chair next to you. Mm -hmm. So if I wanted to, you know, have a, a spirit come visit me, I would set a place for them and next to me, no one would be there. Do they have to, like, have name cards or something to know who it is? <laughs> um, like, how do you know what spirits are there or who, who you're attracting? No, that's actually a really interesting question because they would, you know, set the table and they would place, light a candle for the person they wish to honor and they would also write them notes to people. Oh. Um, so what they would do is they'd write a note to, if they wanted to, like, communicate with a certain person, they'd write a note either of intention or a letter, like, hey, miss you, hope hope you're doing well in the afterlife. And what they would do is at the end of the dinner, they would take the note attended for them and with the candle at the place of the empty chair, they would burn it. Mm -hmm. So then it would go off oh, into the world. Okay. But no one would eat until everyone was served. And then after everyone was done eating, they would light the note. And it was thought that, you know, they would be able to see signs. Another, whether it's like a tap on the window or, you know, they would hear something or some people even said they saw like manifestations. And a lot of young women really dived into these traditions. Like some of it was more of like a family thing, like, oh, we're going to eat and honor the dead. But a lot of women wanted to find out like who their husbands were. So there's actually a lot of traditions like oh, wow. women would do so. They would try to use the ceremony to see, like, who their future husband would be. Oh. And they would get these visions, and some of them would see, like, the face of a man. Some of them would just see darkness, and they were afraid, like, oh, no, I'm going to become a spinster. <laughs> and one woman, you know, saw coffins, and maybe, like, she would die that year. So, oh like, my God. kind of something, you know, maybe not to play around with, but... That sounds intense. Yeah, but the reason women in particular were really into holding these rituals or fortune-telling ceremonies is because they didn't really have a say in who they got to marry. It was, mm -hmm. like, more so up to their father. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of like, ooh, I wonder who it will be. Like, maybe I'll get to see, like, who my future husband is. And yeah. so these are a couple of other methods they would do on top of dumb suppers mm -hmm. to tuba from the crucible during, like, the Salem or, like, the witch trials or whatever. Oh, yeah. She taught women to drop eggs in a glass of water, and apparently they could see their husband's faces in, like, the murky water. Okay. Weird. Uh, <laughs> this one creeps me out. Okay. A woman would light a candle, hold up a mirror, and walk down the cellar stairs backwards, and they could then ideally see the face of the man they would marry in the mirror at midnight. If that's how you meet your future <laughs> husband, please stay away. I don't recommend. <laughs> mm, yeah, I don't like that. Can you imagine if, like, like, you're like, oh, I met someone. I'm like, oh, where'd you guys meet? I'm like, in the mirror at midnight on Halloween. <laughs> in my basement. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, another tradition was peeling an apple in a long, single fashion, and then they would throw it on the ground, and it said the peel would make a shape of a letter representing who you would marry. Oh. Speaking of apples, they were... A symbol of the Roman goddess Pomona, and she was the goddess of agriculture and abundance, which is actually why we bob for apples. We're, we're looking for that oh. yield, and this was kind of like the Roman version of the festival they had. Everything's so symbolic. I know. I will close out with a couple of other Halloween traditions and okay. origins. So bats on Halloween, it's because... The bonfires attracted more bugs towards the fire oh. and light, so more tend to swoop around and, and eat them. Um, yeah. It was kind of thought that they might be, I mean, obviously, I guess that's kind of creepy. I don't know. I think bats are kind of cute. I like bats. I like I'm okay bats. with bats. I'm a, I'd rather have a bat than a centipede. Yeah. <laughs> Although, if we had a bat in our apartment, I'd probably freak out too. I would too, but I wouldn't try to kill it. I wouldn't either. <laughs> um, what would what would we even do do you like call animal scream. control or? like do we get a net do we try to like shoo it out we should come up with a plan for this in case it ever happens <laughs> okay so we have a plan for a tornado we have a plan for a fire now we need a plan for bed the scottish version of of halloween was in the middle ages and poor people would go to homes and collect food and people would give them what's called a soul cake Mm -hmm. or money in exchange for praying for the family on All Souls Day. 
So eventually the praying died down and they would just like, hey, do you want to hear a joke for like, a piece of cake? <laughs> like I would do that, but I'd probably get yeah. arrested. Um, <laughs> the colors black and orange is because at Sewin, the black represented the death of summer and the orange was to represent the harvest. Oh. I mentioned earlier that people would also go around for offer and say in prayers, but in the 20th century, kids would receive treats such as toys, coins, apples, candy. Black cats and their stigma of being spooky dates back to the Middle Ages. Dark cats were considered to be the sign of the devil. Centuries later, during the the witch trials, accused witches often had them as buddies, and they would assist the witches with dark magic according to mental floss um oh i love black cats i do too sad fact that i found out while researching is they are the most common animals overlooked at shelters oh so this is a psa to spay and neuter your pets adopt and rescue adopt a black cat adopt a black cat like are you gonna do it let us know. You can email us at <laughs> the insomnia report. <laughs> yeah, tag us in it. I want to see the kitties. Trick or treating is also a German American tradition. Really? A- yeah, aka I can't pronounce it, so I'm gonna need your help. Belschnicklin. How do you spell it? B E L N I C K L I N G. Belschnicklin. 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 Oh, okay. So, (laughs) Belsnickling, or it's also called Klausentreiben. Right, of course it is. (laughs) But during (laughs) Klausentreiben, we'll go with that. Right. (laughs) Children would dress up in costume and call their neighbors to see if they could guess who was under the costume. Kind of like Scooby Doo, I guess. I don't know. But they'd be like, guess who I am? And it's like, are you Elizabeth? And it's like, no, I'm Margot. So, (laughs) if, um, if no one could identify them, then they would get a treat. Oh. So, in summary, sewing was, you know, to appreciate the harvest that they had to to prepare for the long winter. It It's think to have dark and demonic roots, but it was a celebration of the harvest and, you know, the year to come. So, that mm-hmm. is the story of Halloween. Oh, that's so interesting. I love that. Like, I love being in touch with nature and like the seasons yeah i think that's really important i agree if you enjoyed yeah. it that was yeah i i learned something today and i'm gonna see halloween differently and we're gonna have to carve some turnips yeah if we can find i don't even know where to buy a turnip i guess they have them at the grocery store i've never bought a turnip i yeah i i don't i don't know hmm, hmm. uh investigation coming soon we will <laughs> be sure to follow up with an update Okay, do you want to tell me a story? Educate me, please. Okay. Yeah, so my topic is a little bit less fun. Oh, okay. (laughs) It's a little bit intense. Okay, lay it on me. All good. All right. Well, at least I don't remember learning this in school. Maybe you do, but let me know. So I'm going to tell you about the Tulsa Greenwood Massacre of 1921. Okay. It's also called the Tulsa Race Riot, but it's not... I don't know, like riot versus massacre, people prefer different words. Anyway, okay. And I want to talk about it because it's one of the most severe incidents of racial violence in U.S. history. Oh. And like, so why didn't we learn about? Well, okay. Just wait. Wow. It's, look at full circle. <laughs> yeah, and like I, I feel like a lot of people don't know about it. I had didn't know about it, and um, I learned about it recently. You know, in the context of all of the discussion on race in the U.S. recently after Mm -hmm. the killing of George Floyd. So I wanted to deep dive into this a little bit and talk about it because, yeah. It's important. It's important. All right. So let's talk about Tulsa, Oklahoma. I've never been to Oklahoma. I haven't either. Didn't we talk about it in our last story? Wasn't someone from Oklahoma? Yeah, the the kid with the... With the visions. With the visions. (laughs) Um, um, okay, no, yeah. I haven't been to Oklahoma either. I haven't either. I heard it's I, very nice. All I know about it is the musical, you know. <laughs> Oklahoma. <laughs> I don't know the rest of it. Where the wind goes, goes sweeping down, down the plane. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so. Dear uh, God, help me. Okay, sorry. Go on. Oklahoma. Okay. Oklahoma. So Tulsa, Oklahoma in 1921 had a neighborhood 
called Greenwood. Um, it was a segregated city. Um, so Greenwood was the black neighborhood and it had a population of about 10,000 people. Okay. Um, the people there, they were descended from enslaved people, but also, um, you know, some also came from the deep South because they wanted to get away from the harsh racial environment in the deep South. Um, and a lot of this info comes from a New York Times article by Maggie Astor, just FYI. Okay. So about 10,000 people lived in this um, district, the Greenwood District, and it was known as Black Wall Street. Okay. Because it was super, you know, it was thriving, prosperous business district. Um, and there were restaurants, grocery stores, hotels, theaters, transportation services, all run by black entrepreneurs. Um, so it was hustling and bustling, thriving, Black Wall Street. Love it. So the KKK was super active in Oklahoma. Which, Great. Yeah. It's the KKK. Hmm. Not not good. Not bad, good. Bad Never stuff. a good sign. And also, just a couple of years earlier, was the Red Summer of 1919, which is where white mobs killed black people across oh, the God. U.S. Um, in like several dozen incidents. Including the Chicago race riot of 1919, which I won't talk about, but which I'll probably talk about in a future episode. Okay, sounds good. So there's lots of racial tension, and they just needed some kind of catalyst to set off actual violence. So on May 30th, 1921, a 19-year-old black man named Dick Rowland, who was a shoe shiner, got in an elevator at a building in downtown Tulsa, and the elevator operator was a 17-year-old white girl named Sarah Page. Something happens. No one knows for sure what happened. A common suggestion is that Dick Rowland like might have tripped and like grabbed her or something to catch himself or like uh, no one really knows what happened, but something there was some sort of I don't know something happened between them and Sarah Page screamed and Dick Rowland knowing that he was in danger ran from the building Oh, no. Um, and he was arrested, and Sarah Page refused to press charges, but the the next day, the Tulsa Tribune, the newspaper, printed a story saying that Roland had tried to rape her. Oh, God. Um, with an accompanying editorial saying that a lynching was planned for that night. Oh, no. So he was arrested and jailed in the Tulsa County Courthouse, which is the same courthouse where the sheriff had allowed a lynch mob to kidnap another black man the year before. Oh, my God. Like, yeah, people were freaked out for good reason. And so black Tulsans really were afraid that he would be lynched and that no one would protect him. And, um... Then white Tulsans wanted the sheriff to turn Dick Rowland over to them to presumably, like, be lynched. Um, So uh, here's what happened. So a group of black Tulsans showed up with guns to try and defend the prison where he was at Mm -hmm. um, so that he wouldn't be taken. And then the white people went to get guns. (laughs) Um, Oh, never a good sign. (laughs) (laughs) And then eventually the crowd reached over... 2,000 people. Jesus. And the sheriff, um, like, barricaded the top floor of the prison to try to protect Dick Rowland. Um, well, that was nice of him. And, well, I, yeah, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> um, I mean, he could have just been like, here you go. But Yeah, as I guess he had done previously. Um, oh, but. Um, Wait, I'm sorry. He did previously? Well, like, it, like, they said for a different, oh, different black man, like, a lynch mob had came, had come. Um, like previously, and the sheriff allowed it, so oh. that's why they were afraid that uh, this guy Dick Rowland wouldn't be protected. Oh, so I'm sorry, maybe I missed something. No, that's okay. He, the sheriff, was trying to protect him. He was in okay. this case. Okay, yeah, for some reason. Which okay. is yeah, which is good. Um, then uh, a white man apparently tried to grab a black man's gun. The gun went off, and then the white mob spread out through the streets of downtown Tulsa, shooting black people on sight. The violence lasted 24 hours. The mob rushed into Greenwood, opened fire, including with machine guns. They led black people out of their homes and businesses at gunpoint, looted, and set the buildings on fire. Um, why Why were they doing this to people that were just minding their own business? Because, because race. racism. Mm. So black residents tried to defend themselves, but they were overpowered and 
some of the members of the white mob, or many of them, were actually recently returned World War One veterans oh. trained in the use of firearms. Oh, shit. And some people even claim that um, there were airplanes that dropped, like, bombs. What the hell? Yeah. God damn it. Can you imagine someone being like, hey, Brad, can I borrow your airplane? <laughs> yeah, I have to go drop some bombs on people, like, random people I don't know who haven't done anything to me. For an accident that was fabricated. Uh... <sighs> they were just looking for an excuse to... Of course. To, like, destroy the community, basically. Right. Okay, go on. So, yeah, they burned the neighborhood down. The mob prevented firefighters from getting to the neighborhood. And the the governor declared martial law. The National Guard arrived. Some of them even joined the white mob. <laughs> so it, like, uh. didn't really help. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? Yeah. Um, like, we're here to protect. By the way, I'm going to just yeah. follow you along. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, they did, the National Guard did help put out some fires. I don't know, kind of. Tried maybe to protect some black people. I don't really know. I'm sure it was like a haphazardly. Yeah, but they also imprisoned all black Tulsans not already imprisoned. And over 6,000 people were held at the convention hall and fairgrounds, some for as long as eight days afterward. So at the eruption of violence, so public officials um, oftentimes provided firearms and ammo to the white mob. It was really bad news. (laughs) It was really bad. bears. Yeah, it was super bad. So at the end of this, so 24 hours of violence, it left between 30 and 300 people dead. Jesus. Um, The official death toll was recorded at 10 whites and 26 African Americans, but many experts now believe that at least 300 people were killed. More than 1,400 homes and businesses were burned. Nearly 10,000 people were left homeless. 35 city blocks were burned down totally and laid in ruins. What the hell? More than 800 people were treated for injuries, and bodies were buried by strangers in mass graves while the victims' families were detained. Oh, my God. And the, the families were never told where their lo- or whether their loved ones died or where they were buried. Holy... I am, like, full-body goose. Yeah. Oh, no. It's, it's really bad. And thousands oh. of people lived in tent cities in the following months. No. Um, oh, my God. Yeah, Dick Rowland's charges were dismissed, though, later. But, so, that was really horrible. And afterwards, I mean, Black Tolson's rebuilt. Um, They didn't really get a lot of assistance from the government or anything. Love that. Um, The Red Cross helped a lot, but really, they were just kind of left uh, to kind of do it themselves. Right. So nice. I love that. Mm -hmm. So afterwards, the KKK used this incident as like a recruiting tool. What the (laughs) fuck? And (laughs) within months, the Tulsa chapter became one of the largest in the U.S. So. Uh, Yeah. I I guess there was the the desire there. I don't know. On the end of white (laughs) Oklahomans. Yeah. It's a. It's great. Yeah, it's freaking love that. Really bad. And they just dis- distributed postcards with photos like Aww, from the sweet. event. <laughs> um, um <laughs> they're like pretty gruesome too. Um Oh god. And these were popular among white supremacist groups as like mm-hmm. a like a souvenir postcard. That is so fucked up. Yeah, it is. Yeah. But so then afterwards, here's like here's something that I found really surprising. I don't know why I shouldn't have been surprised, but though after this massacre, officials wanted to make the event disappear. They didn't want anyone to know about it. So they tried to cover it up. Mm-hmm. Police records disappeared. Oh, convenient. The the article that kind of sparked this whole thing that said that he had raped her were they were cut out of newspapers before they were transferred to microfilm, like in the libraries. Oh. Like this was like a uh, an effort, like a concentrated effort yeah, to get rid of it. City officials cleansed the history books so people didn't Cleansing learn about the it. History. Did they put like a bunch of sage in it? And be- <laughs> <laughs> now you'll be clean. No. Yeah, in, in the New York Times article, they mentioned that there was uh, a lawyer in, from Illinois who started teaching students at the University of Tulsa um, about the massacre in the late 1940s and they didn't believe her because they'd never heard of it before. Seriously? Yeah. 
and even like accounts from black people descended from people who were alive during the massacre like many of them have said they never learned about it until they were adults so it it wasn't in the school books in the history books to teach oklahoma school children and no one learned about it there was an active campaign to suppress this information so then in the late 60s um there was this reporter named don ross who began investigating the history of the massacre and over the years there were a few people who were interviewing survivors and trying to investigate, but they would like be threatened and and stuff. And then in 1995, reporters came to Tulsa because there was a terrorist truck bombing. Oh um, my God. And so that was a separate incident, but this guy, Don Ross, who started in the sixties, got their attention and tried to like popularize or like get people to talk about what happened. And so this led to, there was kind of like a, publicity spike and in 1997 the state of Oklahoma formed a Tulsa race riot commission to investigate and formally document what happened and they talked to survivors and other evidence and stuff uh, and they also have been using ground piercing radar to try to locate a potential mass grave oh in Could Tulsa? you imagine if it founds out, it's like, hey, um, I know you just bought this home, but apparently there's like a bunch of dead bodies yeah. under it. A mass grave from, from a massacre that the city covered up for. Oh uh, my God. Did they ever find years. it? I'm- well, so there are three different places around the city that they think could possibly be it. There's only two people buried in their Oakland cemetery who are like officially victims of the massacre but they think there are many more obviously because like the estimate is that 300 plus people died and so they they did actually this year start digging and they found in, in 2020 in 2020 a hundred years later yeah oh my yeah. god yeah okay so so, so they, they started, started digging. digging um they found some spots that had like anomalies in the soil that they thought could mean it was mass grave so the first place that they started digging they didn't find any remains they found like some random like artifacts but they didn't find any remains so they're they're still looking so in the commission's preliminary recommendations they suggested that the state of oklahoma um this was in 2002 that the state of Oklahoma should pay $33 million in restitution, some of it to the 121 surviving victims who had been located. But no legislative action was ever taken on that recommendation, and the commission couldn't force them to. And so in 2002, a private religious charity, the Tulsa Metropolitan Ministry, paid a total of $28,000 to the survivors, um, which is like $200 each using funds from private donations. So the state never really did anything. Um, And there's currently, I found an article from September of this year. So last month, it's October, right? Yeah. About how survivors and descendants of the victims are suing for reparations. One of them is named um, Lessie Benningfield Mother Randall. She was a little girl when during the riot or the massacre, and her grandma's house was raided. Um, and she still has like flashbacks of um, black bodies stacked up on oh, the street as her neighborhood so, was burning. That's terrifying. Yeah. So and the lawsuit says that racial and economic disparities caused by the massacre created public nuisance and an economic blight that remains, and that local government failed to help rebuild. So. Yeah, like, it's still ongoing. Tulsa is still deeply segregated, and there's still a lot of discussion about police brutality and in Tulsa, including um, the 2016 police killing of an unarmed black man named Terrence Crutcher. And Trump also had his rally there this year in August. Love it. And he was going to have it on Juneteenth, and he rescheduled because... Of the bad, like, optics, and then people were talking about this, too. So, yeah, and the lawsuit also calls for the creation of a victim compensation fund, mental health and education programs for um, residents of Greenwood and North Tulsa, a college fund for descendants of massacre victims, uh, construction of a hospital in the community, 
and yeah, asking that black residents from the area have priority consideration for city contracts. The Oklahoma National Guard still defends its actions at the time of the massacre, which is interesting. How? How? Uh, yeah, I don't mm. know. But yeah, I just want to talk about it because I think it's important to acknowledge the ugly parts of history because otherwise there's no other way to, you know, heal and learn from it and and serve justice there. Like you you have to keep learning and listening and doing your own research. You can donate to the Greenwood Cultural Center. They do summer and after school programs and they have some info about the massacre as well on their website. So what's their website? Their website is greenwoodculturalcenter.com. Okay. Yeah, so I didn't learn about that in school. That I definitely <laughs> did not. And we, I mean, obviously we went to the same school, but I can't believe. Yeah. I mean, and it was actively not taught because people didn't want to remember it. That makes me, that makes my blood boil. I just, mm-hmm. thank you for sharing. Definitely yeah. important. I think, you know, I think we said in the, the first episode, we learned the sugar-coated history of things and, mm-hmm. uh Oh, this is gonna. This is gonna stick with me. I'm, I'm, yeah. Anyway, I. Thank you. Thank you for your Halloween story. <laughs> thank you for educating us on stuff that we should have been educated on a, a long time ago. Ooh, this is a PSA to please go out and vote. Please vote. Yeah. Um, if you can vote early, go vote. I voted yesterday. Ah. On my day yay. off. Hey, how was it? How did it feel? I felt so good. To, to, I was like, ha. But um, no, I mean, I took Friday off. So I went in the morning and it took like 25 minutes in and out. So mm-hmm. it's very important to do so. You can go to vote.gov to figure out how to register if you aren't already. You, anywho. Make a voting plan. Make a voting plan. Thank you so much for listening to episode two. This has been the Insomnia Report. Do you want to tell them how to find us? Yes, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. That's all of our social media, right? Right. We don't have MySpace. <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> uh, SoundCloud. <laughs> no. You um, can find our podcast on Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Amazon Music. If you want to submit a suggestion as to what you want to hear in a future episode, if you have a listener story you want to submit for a listener edition of a story that was worded weird, but... Or if you um, just want to say hi. Yeah, you can email us at theinsomniareport at gmail.com. We also want to give credit to the artists that have helped us. Our music was composed by Colin Whitlish and produced by Justin Toom. And our cover art is by Erica Chase. Tune in next week. We will be discussing true crime super excited um again thank you guys so much for listening thank you for everyone who has shared and liked our podcast we we really appreciate the support so we hope you enjoyed this episode and we hope to see you next week but again i'm margo and i'm elizabeth and this is the insomnia report take care guys bye